welcome to livealittlehigher.com. We're ap approaching the holiest and most awesome day of the year, Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is a time of Teshuvah for all. As the Rambam states that Yom Kippur is a time of Teshuvah for all, therefore all are obligated to repent and confess on Yom Kippur. And what does the Rambam mean by this statement that Yom Kippur is a time of Teshuvah for all? When the Rambam states in a previous paragraph that the entire 10 day period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom, and Yom Kippur, in which we're right now, is the 10 days of repentance, is a propitious time for repentance. So, additional Teshuvah is not a time bound commandment as soon as an individual sins. Obviously, the moment you do something that is um, contrary to Hashem, at that moment you should do Teshuvah. Like, Yom Kippur is not one day a, a year that people come with all their sins in a backpack and they do Teshuvah. Like if during the other 364 days of the year you mess up, it's propitious to clean the mess in the moment that you create the mess, right? So Teshuvah is a commandment to, 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 to continuously be, be done. Like it's not something that is set for one day a year. It's something that should be done every day. Every day we should look up and say, okay, I messed up here, I didn't think right in this way, I didn't say to this person something that was okay. And we should amend the things that we do during the year. But Yom Kippur is a, is a day in which our Teshuvah is most immediately accepted. It's a day in which the, the energy of the day is propitious for Teshuvah. So it's like Elul, the month of Elul is a, day, is a month in which it says the king is in the field, like God is there, go to him, talk to him, he's more accessible than the rest of the year. So it doesn't mean that God is not accessible the rest of the year, he's always there, he's one phone call away, you just have to dial up and he'll answer to you. But the month of Elul is a month in which we are more conscious of getting closer to God, so it's more accessible. So the same way, uh, Yom Kippur, since everybody has thoughts of Teshuvah in these next, in these days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and on Yom Kippur especially, then it's more auspicious, it's more, it's easier for us to do Teshuvah. So it says that, the, that Yom Kippur not only makes Teshuvah easier, loftier, and, and higher, but the very day obligates one to repent. This is the whole purpose of the day. You're not doing anything else. You're not going to work, you're not eating, you're not bathing, you're not going to play golf, you're not gonna go to the supermarket. This is a day in which a person wakes up and he's not eating, he doesn't anoint himself with oils or with creams or with anything, he doesn't even put the other on. You change your shoes, you don't wear leather shoes, you wear shoes that are made out of cloth or, or Crocs or whatever. It's a day in which the whole day is permeated with Teshuvah, for if a person has sinned, he's obligated to repent all times, every day of your life. And on the other hand, a person is free from sin, then it would seem that he's not obligated to repent on Yom Kippur. So if we're doing Teshuvah every day of our lives, why do we need Yom Kippur? What's the purpose of it? So he says that during the rest of the year, this is from the teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, 
it is a person's personal status as a sinner that obligates him to repent. Because you're a sinner, you're obliged to repent. It, it's an obligation. On Yom Kippur, however, the time frame itself brings an obligation to do Teshuvah. The day itself atones for your sins. It's the energy of the day is auspicious for Teshuvah. And we still have the original question, how can it be said that the obligation to repent on Yom Kippur extends to all when it's in simple sense, Teshuvah involves repenting for sins and certain individuals may be free of sin. So the Rambam addresses this point when he states, those sins for which a person has confessed during a previous Yom Kippur are to be confessed again during Yom Kippur. Like imagine, if you go through the list of sins, you're asking forgiveness for, for sins that you committed against your teacher, okay? So you're thinking, okay, my fifth grade teacher that I used to make fun of them, or I didn't listen to them, or I had chutzpah for them. Okay, I've been asking forgiveness for this sin for the last 40 years of my life. Like, hasn't it been forgiven? Do I still have to ask this year for that? or because I, 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 I didn't feed the poor or I didn't talk nice to my parents. I already asked for forgiveness for that. I, I haven't done it again. So why do I have to come on this Yom Kippur and again go through the whole list of Teshuvah and again go and ask forgiveness for things that I committed 40 years ago? Or I never committed. There's things that are in the list that you never did. And then there's a story of the Arizal the holy rabbi Isaac Luria, that he was doing vidui and hitting himself and hitting himself. And he was a saint, a saintly man. He had never done a sin, ever, not one sin. So the person next to him, after the services, he went up to him and said, Ari, I'm, Reb Ari, I'm so sorry to ask, but why were you doing vidui? You, you're a sinless man. Why were you hitting yourself, hatati, hatati? Right, why? Why if you've never done anything? He says, because you don't understand. We're all interconnected. So if one Jew is sinning, one Jew does lashonara, it applies to you too, because we're all one. We all come from the same source. We come from the same light. So we're all affected by the sins of everybody. And so that's why it's a, like a communal uh, repentance in which we're asking forgiveness for all these sins that sometimes you look at them and you say, I don't remember doing this. Why should I ask forgiveness for something that I, I never did? And it is because we're all interconnected and every sin applies to each one of us. So he says, the, the, the Rambam, for I know my inquiries and my sins are constantly before me. And there is only one difference during the rest of the year when the reason for Teshuvah is the sin itself, then if a person did not sin in the first place or has since repented, there is no obligation again to repent for the same sin. So if I did whatever, I, I, I didn't learn Torah, I had the opportunity to learn Torah and I didn't learn Torah. Okay, I'm gonna ask forgiveness because I didn't learn Torah, but now I learned Torah. So why do I have an obligation to ask forgiveness for that again? But during the year, if I repent, it's done. You did Teshuvah, it's done. So comes Yom Kippur, says the Rambam. However, when the time itself obligates to Teshuvah, then if there was ever during the person's lifetime something for which he had to repent, and there exists no righteous person in the, in the land, who only does good and never sin, the individual is obligated to repent once again on Yom Kippur, since my sins are constantly before me. 
So yes, we were always asking forgiveness. Like, yeah, it's like when I have my daughter here and, and she was a, she was a mischievous little kid. She put me through a lot of, uh, let's say, of a lot of sweating in the streets. And every time she comes, she's ma, please forgive me, please forgive me. Now she has a child, it's the same as her. I say, you know exactly how to bring up this child because you, you, he has your head. Who better to understand them than you? But every time she comes, ma, please forgive me, please. I, I have nothing to forgive. You're forgiven a long time ago. You're the best daughter there is in the world. So it's the same way. Every year, Hashem, please forgive me for what I did in 19, 1980. It was terrible. I, I, please forgive me. It, it's constantly in front of our eyes. So the Alter Reb explains that although a person may have done a proper teshuva for a particular scene, nevertheless, when he's elevated to a higher level of divine service, which is in Yom Kippur, we're not the regular people in the street. We're people that have not eaten. We're not, we're not uh, corporeal that day. We're more like angels. We're in a higher level. And then the, the repentance needs to be a loftier repentance. It, it goes to a higher level. So since the sanctity of Yom Kippur is such that all Jews are elevated on this day, even those sins for which one has repented previously are to be repented for once again with a loftier manner of Teshuvah. And so I heard a beautiful story of Repsusha of Anapoli uh, in which the Maggid of Meserich was giving all these Kabbalistic concepts on Teshuvah, on, on repentance, and he couldn't really understand one thing of what the Maggid of Mesrich was saying. And so he said, I need to keep this simple. And he gave five simple embodiments of, of, of how to do Teshuvah, how to return and to repent. And he says he took from the word Teshuvah every letter, the Tav, the Aleph, the Shin. From each letter, he brought out um, a verse in which it helps us do Teshuvah. So the Tet it goes to Tamim, and Tamim means to be sincere. And it, what he says is when you're doing Teshuvah, be sincere with, with God, be sincere with Hashem. Uh, who are you fooling really? Like, that's the question. When you're not doing something sincerely, who do you think you're fooling? You're not fooling God, you're fooling yourself. Everybody knows. So the Tamim represents the service of Teshuvah that comes through Temimut, sincerity, sincerity or wholeness, and takes any number of forms at, at as many levels. In reference to Teshuvah, the highest form is wholeness of heart, called earnestness. As Torah says of Abraham, you found his heart faithful before you, and, and this is in the Hayom Yom of, of the fourth of Tishrei, and he says, imagine that you had a job that you truly love. You have this job and you really love your job. You're well paid, you're respected. You feel that your, your employer loves you and he really has you in very high regard. So with that job, every day that you wake up, you're looking forward to going to work. You're happy to be there. You're wholehearted, you give it all you got. To this, uh, to this job and you're, you're honest in it. So that's what we need to deal with 
our real work in the world. This is how we have to feel about God and how we have to feel about life. That we wake up every day and we feel that Hashem gave us a garden and we're the gardeners and we have to take care of this garden and we're in a mission and we have a purpose and we have to take it very seriously, our lives. We're on a mission and we take it wholeheartedly. So every day that we open our eyes, we come to the day inspired, happy, with sincerity, and we try to really realize um, the day in the best way possible. So that that is part of the shuva. Then the shin says, Shviti, I have said God, Havaye, before my me always. And this name of God, Yudke Vavke, indicates the creation of the universe and the creatures. It's the infinite name of God. And it brings all creation into being and sustaining it, accomplished by bringing, bridging an infinite gap from Ein, from nothing to something. So Hashem creates the world, not from nothing, He makes something. It's called Yesh Me'ayin, from nothing, something comes out. And this form of avodah, this form of service of teshuva, results from one's constant awareness of the way in which the universe and all that is in it is constantly brought into being. And we have to learn from this, like every day you open your eyes, every day Hashem is recreating you at every instant. That you're here breathing and walking and moving is a miracle. And that there is sun sets in the east and he goes to sleep on the west is a miracle every day that you can see uh, a blue sky or it's raining or there's snow it's a miracle everything is being recreated and you can achieve immediate awareness of this divine by using your capacity to observe god creating the world from absolute nothingness right now and if I possess the awareness that God is creating everything in this moment, it only follows that I'm going to do everything in my power to engage with every detail of that creation in a way that is pleasing to its creator. And this will help me resolve the, the cravings for not doing what Hashem wants from me. And it's going to give me the strength to be able to fulfill Hashem's will in this world. And then you have the, the Vav, which is Ve'ahavta, love your fellow as yourself. Um, love your fellow as yourself. And the Alter Rebbe thought that this love is an instrument, a means to love the eternal, your God. If you want to know if you love God, see if you can love his children. If you don't love, if you don't love his creation, how can you love God? And this is explained in the statement, whoever is pleasing to man is pleasing to God. This service of Teshuvah stems from goodness of heart. And, um, and uh, if your goal is to truly love God, it only follows that you will also love God, God's children. But if the only reason you are being good to people is because it seems at the moment that it's the right or the rational thing to do, we have seen how often that one's worthy goal really doesn't continue because yes, it's very easy to be kind and nice to nice and kind people. But when you have to deal with people that are a problem that are how they call them today, toxic personalities or the narcissist or all these people that really make your life very hard to be kind to them is really a, a, a mission and it's really a, a work that you are able to treat everybody with, with kindness and with respect. And so 
Every act of kindness towards man is an act of kindness towards God. And this is the way to do it. When you have to deal with difficult people, you have to say, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to be kind to Hashem. Forget about the person. This is my, my opportunity to be kind to Hashem. And when you deal with a person in this way, even if that person is so hard to deal with, but you see it as it's my opportunity to deal kind, kindly with Hashem, then uh, everything will turn around for you. So then we have Behol um, in all your ways, uh, a person who sets his heart and mind to observe all that happens to him and around him will perceive godliness tangibly in evidence as the Midler Rebbe pointed out. Business people have the advantage over secluded scholars that they have to deal with the world and they're always a person that is in the world that is in the market that's dealing with the with the material world is constantly seeing the the hand of god in their lives and they can see they can see really how hashem moves the, move the cards so earlier we were told of the importance of seeing all of reality as part of an immediate ongoing creation here we go one step higher, a notch higher, and we have to see every moment of creation as directed and immediate manifestation of a benevolent eternal purpose that motivates us to practical action. So you have to see your life as a life of purpose that everything that's happening in your life is meant to be at that moment exactly how Hashem eh, designed it for you, is tailor-made for you, for you to be able to, to see Hashem's working in your life. And so the very best way to see Ashkaha Pratis, divine providence at work, is by being part of an engaging with life in order to make a dwelling place for Hashem. So if you make your life, uh, your job is to make a home for Hashem in this world, then you're gonna see how everything that happens in your life is part of Hashem's home, of you making that home. And with this in mind, we will see every person, place and situation as an opportunity to do good and turn away from any behaviors that are harmful to oneself or others. I, I was hearing today, there's a podcast that I love that is called Stories to Inspire. And this rabbi is telling the story that he's uh, giving um, uh, a lecture in the, I don't remember, Lakewood or somewhere like that, the five towns. And this lady comes up to him and he gives her, gives him a letter and he says, my, my habruta, the person I learned with, sends you this letter. So he comes later at night to the house, he opens the letter and it's this lady telling him about his, her situation. And she's telling her, him that she has liver cancer and that she's been dealing with this malady for i don't know five years already and that she's already in the stage where she's with experimental medicine but that she has done teshuva she has really done teshuva she started learning torah and when she started learning torah she decided that her whole life had to change she started keeping shabbat she started keeping kosher she threw away all her clothes and started dressing modestly like she changed her whole life around her and her husband and she prays and she says to him, I made it a point every day to make my life an abode for Hashem's presence. It doesn't matter what's going on. Doesn't matter how bad I feel. Every time I go to the hospital, 
I bring gifts for the nurses. I bring smiles to the people. I make a joke so people can laugh. I make it a point to make other people's life better lives because of my existence. And this is what this is what it, he's saying. It's like be a partner with God in life. Yes, we all want the perfect life. We all want to have good health and we want to have good children and we all want to have money and have a nice house and live the, the, the perfect life. But in reality, we're not in a perfect world. Hashem didn't give us a perfect world. He gave us a world that we come to perfect through Him. This is our job, to make tikkun olam, to make it a perfect world, but through us, through our actions, the way we behave with people, the way we treat people, the way we think, the way we, we conduct ourselves in the world. And so this is, this is this one that it's talking, Behol, that in all your ways know Hashem, in all your ways. He's part of your life in every aspect. And so the last one is, uh, the last one is Hatsnea, walk discreetly with your God, be discreet, discreet about your relationship with God. And he says that one must take care not to be conspicuous or ostentatious in the slighted. It is said man should always be artful in pity. The artfulness lies in seeing that his pity not be noticed at all. You know, it's like you're not gonna be like that person. Oh, everybody, yeah, you're so bend down and you're so humble. You never open your mouth. Like your pity is all over the world, you know? No, silent, you do acts of kindness. Nobody has to know what you're doing. You do, it's you and God and you do what you have to do. And, um, and it says, be discreet. Usually when we think of the attribute of modesty, it is terms of not flaunting what others might find materially attractive. We think modesty is like, you know, modesty is about being covered up and nobody seeing you and no, but modesty is more than that. Modesty is also the way you behave. It's also the way you speak. It's always the way you treat people. It's, it's, it's being modest. It's being humble. And so Reb Susha went without saying, since maintaining physical modesty is an essential element of a lower level of teshuva, obviously you need to be physically modest. Here we're taught that we need to be equally modest about our positive spiritual attributes. The reason is obvious. Even when one has managed to control or even transform his physical cravings, the cravings of the ego for attention and admiration can still remain. Yes, we all like to be looked at. We all want to be appreciated. We all want to be um, part of something. We don't want to be this person, this invisible person in the world. But what he's saying is that we have to, in a certain way, keep the greatness to ourselves. We don't need to be flaunting anything. You know, today in this world of social media, it's the reverse. Everything's being shown. There's no, there's no privacy anymore. People don't have privacy. And, and, and in reality, the, there's no nicer thing in the world than privacy and modesty. So we see that the that a person can control his or her ego and, and live life in a state of true humility in relation to God. With God's help come to control just about any, all of his temptations and cravings that will lead to behavior that he might eventually live to regret. So we do need Hashem 
to help us in this area of our life. And we need to be humble and acknowledge that without him, we cannot do it alone. And the final verse cited by Rep. Susha brings us full circle with the first vowel letter, low, lower level teshuva and higher level teshuva are dependent on the same thing an ever-improving relationship with God that is based on a simple faith, humility, modesty, and positive personal communication with the divine will bring us to, um, to, to do the teshuva that is uh, being long awaited to bring the final uh, uh, redemption. So the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, contains the richest variety of communal prayers is a day in which we go to pray to Hashem. We, we really ask Him to get us close to Him, to help us be close to Him. You know, it, it only needs, if, if, if you open a little hole, then the Shekhinah will come for you. You just have to give the first step in, this, in, 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 in your close, closeness with Hashem, in your relationship with Hashem. You give a little step forward, then He'll open His arms for you. So I want to wish you a Gemar Hatimatova. You should be sealed in the book of life and you should live a beautiful life full of mitzvot, of learning Torah, of connection, connecting to Hashem and connecting to His creation. And that you should live happy, in peace, joyful, knowing who you are. And uh, may you have an easy fast. It should be easy, insightful, inspirational. You shouldn't be worried about not eating and, and missing the football game. You should be in shul and really taking advantage of this very holy day. So remember, live a little higher. Thank you. Mm -hmm.